For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, as you have given us scripture so that we might have wisdom and knowledge, so you have given us pastors who with their preaching help us grow in Christ. By your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds and speak to us as we listen now to Pastor Gary. All glory be to you in Christ. Amen. Thank you, Marilee, for your kind words. Melissa for your heartfelt introduction. The feelings are mutual. And to Pastor Pete and the congregation in session for inviting Beth and me to come back this weekend. Although, Pete, your uh, children's sermon was a little bit over the top. What did he say? Many, many, many years ago that I was... (laughs) I hope that I can convey how happy that Beth and I are here to be with you this weekend. It's been a joy and a privilege. By the way, I noticed in the November issue of the Nielsville News that you all had a chance to see a picture of me. That's good. But you know that the pictures were from at least 25 years ago. I could have sent a more recent one, you know. At any rate, for those who knew me back when, please tell me that I haven't changed a bit even if you have to fudge just a little bit. What a delightful time it's been, seeing old friends as I look upon the congregation here this morning, making some new ones from last night. It's been a joy. And the changes, the changes to this area, to this neighborhood, Nielsville Church itself are amazing. Please indulge me for a moment, but we all have these I remember when moments and uh, here a few of mine. When I began ministry at this church 30 years ago this month, you could look across 355 and see nothing but a big meadow with a large herd of cows. Now, remember, I was from Minnesota. Right next to us is Wisconsin, the dairy state, so a herd of cows didn't seem strange at all. But I was soon to learn that Montgomery County cow herds were to become a thing of the past. 
on the corner, by the way, just across the street, it was a somewhat busy intersection, was a little grocery store, and I'd often walk across to buy a bag of peanuts or some fruit if I'd forgotten my lunch that day. So very convenient, even though I had to wait for a couple of cars to go by before I could cross 355. Many of you might recall this building kind of ended right back outside these narthex doors here. There was no plaza courtyard, there was no bell tower, there was no bell. And by the way, I hope that the story of how the original bell was returned to its rightful owner and home continues to be passed along from generation to generation here at Nielsville. It's a great story. The Germantown JCs sold Christmas trees in our front parking lot, right in front of the white church. The white church, by the way, was an unheated clothing closet. The white church did have an occasional wedding or funeral, and, and when it did, I remember the massive cleanup effort, cleaning clothes and fabric off the pews and off the fellowship hall room just to get it tidied up and ready. It was one of those all-hands-on-deck experiences. And by the way, it was back in the days when that red cross on top of the church actually worked. <laughs> Went by there last night, and it wasn't on. My office back in the day was in the education wing over here, downstairs. It shared a little bathroom with the nursery. Monday was my day off, so you can imagine some Tuesdays I'd come in, and if uh, the, there would be a stray diaper left over from Sunday that was in the wastebasket in the bathroom area. It was quite interesting, if you know what I mean. <laughs> when the pastor's office was moved into the new wing, that old office became a toddler room. And I think that to this day, it's the only toddler room in Christendom with white, expensive, expansive bookshelves. So, many stories. Below us was an unfinished basement. Church used to have tennis tournaments over there next to the junior high school, which was called Martin Luther King at the time. Story after story, and many of you know them as well. Many, many changes, milestones in Nielsville's history, and Beth and I are glad and happy and privileged that we could be a small part of it. Speaking of changes and milestones, some magazines, including one that I read, often feature columns that cite events or changes in the lives of important people. But I was surprised recently when I read about an African gray parrot, that's right, a parrot, named Alex. Now this Alex was no ordinary parrot, in fact he may have been the smartest and the most famous bird ever. I read the little article and then I researched it online and found out that when Alex was about a year old, a research psychologist named Dr. Irene Pepperberg bought him at a pet shop. She named him Alex because it's an acronym for Avian Learning Experiment. And she thought the meaning behind his name would help gain better acceptance in the academic community because prior to this it was widely believed that only a monkey's or an ape's brain could handle complex problems. Yet this Alex quickly began to show some surprising skills. 
For example, when he was shown a blue paper triangle, he could tell an experimenter what color the paper was, what shape it was, and, believe it or not, after touching it, he could tell what it was made out of. He could also express frustration and even apparent boredom. Dr. Pepperberg claimed that Alex was also capable of mischief. One time when she was away, she left her office, he was in there, and he chewed right through a stack of her important papers. And when she came back, she shrieked, how could you do such a thing? And Alex, the poor parrot, cowered a little bit, then looked her straight in the eyes and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and Pepperberg commented, you know, I'd never taught him those words. So I was utterly astonished, but then I realized that I had yelled at him once before when he knocked over a cup of coffee of mine, and I knew that I'd overreacted, so I apologized. And that bird associated with, I'm sorry, with a tense situation. One night, Dr. Pepperberg put him into his cage, and the bird said the same words that he would say to her every night. He said to her, be good, see you tomorrow, I love you. Sadly, it was the very last time because he was found dead in his cage the next morning at the age of 31. Be good, see you tomorrow, I love you. Wow, interesting words. They could be said in any number of human situations, a friend to a friend, a parent to a child, a hospital patient to a bedside visitor. These words can also be used to illustrate much of our faith teachings as well. Throughout his life, Jesus instructed and encouraged his community of followers. We know that he often used parables encouraging and urging them to be good. In other words, to be virtuous and upright. The parables of the sower of the seeds, the parable of the good Samaritan, the good shepherd, come to mind off the top of my head. But Jesus told his followers to live life a bit differently than what the frustrating regulations of Mosaic laws were telling them. Jesus wanted them to know that a new covenant would replace the difficult and virtually impossible system of rules of the old covenant. This new abundant life that he offered, and he still offers us today, emphasized instead the liberating nature of God's grace and forgiveness. Grace, Christianity is the only religion in the world that offers freedom from a works-based righteousness. We don't have to earn our Lord's favor. He loves us totally and perfectly, and he's made provisions for our complete salvation. Read the Beatitudes. Read the Sermon on the Mount. They provide Jesus' blueprint and guidelines for living. And many of his parables offer 
a key learning moment which lifts up this godly and this unselfish lifestyle. In terms of see you tomorrow, there's always the hope of renewed acquaintance. After approximately three years of teaching and healing and showing people how to love, Jesus knew that his days on earth were coming to an end. Yet he continually reminded his followers that he would, in fact, see them again. He could say this because of his certainty of life after death. He preached, of course, from John 3:16, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we know that from John 14, we should not let our hearts be troubled because Jesus is going to prepare a place for each one of us. I love you. How many times did Jesus say this and do this in his ministry? The essence of his teachings began as this new commandment, that is, to love one another. Furthermore, he claimed, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Go and do likewise. Love your enemies. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are themes repeated over and over again. And in a supreme act of love, as Jesus hung, dying on a cross, he asked for mercy for his accusers. As he beseeched God and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The historical background of Colossians is that Paul is writing from prison. He didn't know whether he'd ever have a chance to visit this very important church located in the province of Colossae. And yet he's upbeat in his words to these Colossian people, thanking God for what he's heard about their faith in Jesus. Because Paul couldn't be with him, he sent instead two very trusted servants, Tychicus and Onesimus, to comfort and encourage these early believers and this early church. Because Paul wanted these two to share with all the people the wonders of everything that had taken place and more instructions from Paul. Onesimus, by the way, was actually from Colossae, so from a trust standpoint, his message would probably have been more appreciated and understood. Just before I retired this past spring, I taught a Colossians Bible study during our church's Wednesday evening adult education classes. And in our research and in our study, it was clear that similar to many of Paul's letters, Colossians touches on these same three themes that I mentioned previously. Be good. See you tomorrow. I love you. Much of Paul's instruction centered on living this righteous, godly life in Christ, seeking the things that are from above and preparing the church for the coming days. In particular, in this letter, Paul also had to provide counter-teachings because of all these false doctrines which were kind of creeping in, much as false doctrines creep into the church today. He claimed that the Colossians had already received the fullness of Christ, therefore 
they didn't need to supplement this incredible gift with any other kind of principles of the world, as some versions call them. Points out again how much Christ is sufficient for all of our needs. As he longs to see them, and Paul is clear about holding on to that hope, he lets this church know just how much he admires and he loves them, praying that above all else, as the text reads, they put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, I feel a little bit like Paul today in, when he writes in verse 5, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. When we left Nielsville almost 20 years ago, I began to serve a new church with, of course, new responsibilities. So I didn't write letters to you in the fashion of Paul. But I want you to know that I thought about you often. I prayed for you through the years. How often I longed to be with you. You are a very gracious and affirming community full of love for Beth and me and our family, our two children. By the way, you helped to raise our two children for those 11 years we were here. Some of the best and most memorable moments in my ministry occurred right here. And now I'm delighted to see where you are today the continuation of your ministries and your outreach as individuals and as a body of seekers you are strong in your faith I read that you're involved in so many mission projects and volunteer opportunities you remain evangelistic you are diverse your worship services it's obvious this morning from the music and the spirit here the educational classes, I know as well, continue to be vital and relevant and Christ-centered. And you're financially healthy. That's clear. Your stewardship is exemplary. And I know that that will carry on next week. You need to know that it's always a former pastor's hope and dream that the ministry of a beloved congregation will continue and keep on flourishing. And I promise that I will continue to pray for you as a church as well. So be good. See you tomorrow. I love you. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing Ferris Lord Jesus as the